<laughs> it just still feels like such a wonderful sense of God's presence here and His holiness, as Luke said earlier. Um, and I'd love us to stay in that. Um, and I really do feel like this is a word in season. Uh, that, that scripture that was just read about God wanting to renew our minds. Let's trust that actually He can continue to do that while we look at His word. And, um, and with that in mind, I'd love to start in a little bit of an unusual way and ask everyone to close their eyes. <clears throat> the way that we see ourselves is such an important part of our lives, how we go about the rest of our days, how we see other people. It often starts with how we see ourselves, our identity. So with your eyes closed, just going to do this for 30 seconds, I would love you to think about three words that describe you, your identity. No one, you're not going to share this with anyone? What are the words that come to mind, the top three? I'd love you to just see them if you can. Your minds are, you can jot them down if you want to. Three words that just are the knee-jerk words when you go, I am dot, dot, dot. Okay, so you've got those words. You can open your eyes. <laughs> We're going to come back to those later. But about those words, that simple Maybe it was a few more words or a phrase, but that simple list is one of the most important lists that you've written this week, <laughs> or that you've reflected and contemplated on this month, perhaps this year, because what you think about yourself is so, so very intrinsically important to everything else that you do in your life, how you see yourself determines how you see the world, how you see others, and how you go about into the world. And that's why the series that we just embarked on from last week is so incredibly important to spend a lot of time on, our identity. Uh, we started it last week, and Taryn spoke about how we are image bearers. One of the first things we, we learn about in Scripture is that we are image bearers. And uh, he also spoke about how this is something that is so hardwired into us to want to know our identity, who we are. And where do we go to find our identity? Generally speaking, uh, outside of uh, Scripture, we tend to go in two different places. We tend to go inwards or outwards. We tend to look in the mirror, literally and figuratively, and bend over in on ourselves and, and ask the question, who am I? And just look at ourselves for the answer, right? That's something that our cultures, particularly our modern culture, is really good at doing. And then for others of us, or maybe alternatively the same bunch of us, also then look outside. And we reference culture and the people around us to find out who we are. And, um, and the scriptures talk about us being conformed to the pattern of the world or, or, or kind of urging us not to be conformed because these things do have a way of shaping us. It's not like we're these static kind of beings that are born and uh, we're not malleable and moldable. 
And so these mirrors that we look to, inwards and around us, they are forming us and they're shaping us. Even those words that came to mind, even the fact that those are the words that we think of, they become self-fulfilling prophecies in a, in a way, right? We think of ourselves as very fragile, very vulnerable, then when tough times come, we will tend to be very fragile. And in that uh, sense, we will prove ourselves right. So those are two ways we can find our identity. We can look inwards and we can look outwards. But the problem with both of those mirrors is that they're distorted. <laughs> they don't give us an accurate, timeless, eternal reflection of reality and truth, right? I mean, you don't have to live long enough to know that not all the thoughts you think are correct, right? Don't believe all the thoughts you think. And, and likewise, in culture, it's so wash with contrary advice and different reflections of who it says you should be and what's the most important things about you. Um, it's almost like those fun houses. I've never been to one, but you see them sometimes in movies with those mirrors that distort reality. You know, they, they, they are showing a version of you. You know, there's something of you that's being reflected back, but it's distorted, wildly distorted. Um, one movement, though, that I'd like to commend that I think isn't um, such a bad thing that our, our modern culture has latched onto, and that's an increased awareness in the power of our words and our perception. And this has given rise to um, positive affirmations. I don't know if you've heard of those. They've been around for a few decades. And there's been a lot of science uh, kind of research looking at the effect of that. So that's standing in front of a mirror in the morning and saying, I am worthy, I'm good, I'm gonna have a great day. Positively affirming yourself, your day, the world around you. And um, uh, I think this for me was summed up in the movie The Help, which was brilliant, with that beautiful, um, I think it was Octavia Spence, I don't know what her name is in the, in the, in the movie, but she um, uh, is raising this little girl and she often gets in front of her and says, you is kind. You is good. You is important. And she keeps on saying it to that little girl until she believes it herself. And um, I think there's something beautiful about that. I know with my own kids, I try um, and, and speak over them those kinds of words. You is kind. You is good. You is important. But I wonder if modern culture actually knows that that very concept of positive affirmations is rooted in Scripture. If you think about it, the fundamental start of it is that the world is good, that there is hope, and that there is um, goodness in us. That's a, that's a Christian concept. Then um, going on from that, the concept that our words have great power, that our words have great power. Who, uh, who told us that first? <laughs> in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. James speaks about our tongues being like rudders or like sparks that can start a a forest fire. Proverbs 23 speaks about a man, so a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And then thirdly, Christians have been doing positive affirmation in a sense for centuries. We're told and um, implored in scripture to speak to our souls, <laughs> to talk to ourselves, and to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. So while the concept of positive affirmations is rooted in scripture. The modern take on it takes God away from it. 
and says, you are mighty. You can do anything. All things are possible if you just believe in yourself. You deserve good things. It's a distorted mirror. It's almost like a chair with a missing leg. There's something fundamentally wrong with this, and you can practice it, and you're going to have some support perhaps, but ultimately it's going to let you down. It's not sustainable because we were not created to believe in ourselves (laughs) primarily. We were created to believe in our creator and find our meaning for ourselves when we look at him. So if those two mirrors don't work, the mirror of looking inwards, the mirror of looking out, where are we meant to go to find our identity? And obviously you've come to church this morning, so I'm I'm thinking you can all guess where this is heading. (laughs) We can go to God's word. We go to God's word and to God himself, our creator, to find out who we really are. His word is a shield. It's a refuge. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's sharper than a surgeon's blade. It's quick. It's living. It's active. It is a mirror, scripture itself tells us. It's a mirror that mysteriously not only reflects our image accurately, but transforms us as we look into it. The author's likeness becomes our likeness as we look more into it. Isn't that wild? That sounds crazy, but it really is scriptural. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 is the first word that we're going to look at from from God's scriptures. We who with unveiled faces gaze upon the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That, That it's not something that you just look at and you kind of like get a better picture of who you really are. You become more of the thing you look at. And that's never more true than when we gaze upon God. That's why this morning feels so holy and why, why we keep on gathering Sunday after Sunday as Christians, century after century, because it's as we gaze sometimes on our own during the week, but often together in times of worship, as we gaze upon God's glory, that we are transformed to become more like him. The more we gaze upon his face, the more our own starts to look like his. Like the moon, and I've got this picture up just as a kind of visual analogy that reflects the sun. The moon reflects the sun, right? It doesn't have a light within it that's emanating. Like this moon, the more we turn to God, the fuller we reflect him. And just like the moon, the end result isn't some clever optical illusion, like those distorted funhouse mirrors. It's just revealing more of what was always there already. Those, those crev- crevices, and I don't know what they're actually called on the moon, craters, that's it. Those craters and all those shapes and different curves, they were always there. And in a sense, uh, that's the truest image of that moon, but it took the sun reflecting on it, and it took the moon turning to the sun for it to, to see itself. That doesn't really work, but you know, you know what I'm saying there. That's the truest image of the moon, right? In the reflection of the sun, and it's the same with you. So let's dive into a bit more of God's word and see what we find there about who we are, our identity. 
I'm going to be looking at just one passage of Scripture, Ephesians 1, verses 2 to 9. But we're going to start with just 2 to 3. Ephesians 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who are you? Who are you really? Well, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian here today, one of the primary things about you is that you are blessed. You are blessed. I wonder how many of us had that as one of the top words that came to mind a bit earlier. You are blessed. There's a bumper sticker that I once saw (laughs) that said, I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. And that's not the kind of blessing that I'm speaking about this morning. I suspect that much of what we define as God's blessing isn't actually what God had in mind. In fact, I suspect that in my own life, I can, let me just speak for myself, a lot of my own disappointment and heartache and frustration and, and problems stems from having a wrong definition of what it means to have a blessed life. If I'm blessed, then why is my life so hard? Why is it so hard to get out of bed in the morning still? Why do I still have so much lack? Why are so many things not going well today? The prosperity gospel is one of the worst things that America has exported to the rest of the world. (laughs) There's been a lot of good, uh, but the prosperity gospel has ravaged the developing world. And um, in another part of my life, I've um, written about this and had to interview different uh, church leaders and pastors from around Africa for uh, a report and, um, and you just hear story after story of, of so many good people, uh, being, their faith being shipwrecked by this wrong assumption of what God meant when he said, I promise I will bless you. And um, the prosperity gospel basically says that God's blessing is always tied to material wealth and provision and protection. And, um, and that's not the case. If you, read the, if you read the Bible and if you look around you at, at what happens uh, when there's only material wealth uh, that is run after as a means of God's blessing, is, is prosperity in itself wrong? Absolutely not. Of course, God loves his kids and he wants to lavish us with blessings in all different shapes and sizes and forms. But when we think that prosperity and material wealth is the be all and end all of what it means to be blessed, um, we're doomed and we doom others in the wake. A friend um, of mine, Vums and Gugaletu, was telling me about a church she visited that uh, she was uh, really enjoying. And then the pastor Uh, started selling salt in little sachets. And he said this was anointed salt. And if you put it uh, under your bed at night, nothing bad would happen. And she said she was horrified to see people queuing for the salt. And then in the back room, it's just salt. You know, it's that cerebral salt just being poured out into small little things. And her heart was broken (laughs) for these people who had traded God's blessing for a little bag of salt, sold for like 200 rand or something. And you think about that pastor, what what he's traded. 
And um, we can shake our heads, because obviously we're not going to sell salt here, right? Or, 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 or go, go for something like that, right? And yet I wonder how many different kind of salts we have in different sachets, in different containers, things that we hold onto that we might not physically put under our pillows at night, but we think, if I have this, I'll be blessed. Then I'll be happy. Then my life will work. Beware of the idol of a life that works. It's basically the prosperity gospel in a different sachet. Beware of thinking that if you can just listen to the right podcasts, read the right books, wake up at the right time in the morning, organize your life better or have better relationships with different people, then you'll be blessed. Then your life will work. If that was true, if that was really what blessing was about, then surely our generation, I'm talking about globally, we're the most blessed people, right? Mortality rates for infants and mothers is down to its lowest, generally speaking, in the world. Uh, there's less uh, uh, kind of diseases and starvation than there has been for centuries. Uh, there's more entertainment, choice, wealth, knowledge, comfort, travel than ever. Surely that's blessings, right? And yet there's more anxiety, depression, suicide in every age group than ever before. We've got more material blessings and yet we're more unhappier than ever. So what does it mean then to be blessed? What can we hope for if God promised us every blessing in the spiritual realm? Well, it's cushioned on either side of what we've just read and that's what we're gonna look at for the rest of this morning. Let's read the rest of the verses. Grace and peace to you, from God the Father and Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that's what we read before. For, here's how he's blessed us. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That, that one's meant to be on the word grace, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So just a few things out of that. He's lavished on us grace, mercy, peace, hope, joy, wisdom, love, forgiveness, redemption, sonship, daughtership. This is what it means to be blessed. Not the absence of struggles, but the presence of God in everything. Wow. <laughs> not, not always what we want to hear, but that is so deeply comforting, friends. God promises these things, grace, mercy, kindness, redemption, wisdom, understanding, love, through everything. You are blessed. <laughs> it's one of the core things about you if you're in Christ. Two other aspects of our identity that I just want to pick up from that passage because they're ones that I think we usually tend to forget about um, in terms of our identity. 
is that you are chosen and you are holy. You are chosen and you are holy. Just a few minutes on that word chosen. It feels great to be chosen, right? <clears throat> Especially when you're recognized for something that makes you special. You know, you, you made it into a top team or you get promoted at work. But it's wildly different to be chosen when you haven't done anything <laughs> to deserve that choice and when you are chosen by someone incredibly special. <laughs> that's a different kind of chosen, right? And that's the kind of chosen we're speaking about. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. <laughs> wow. There's something quite radical about that kind of chosen. <laughs> I, I tend to think a lot of my life is because I've worked hard and because I've made good choices. And you chose Christ, right? Or did he choose you first? Did he set his love and his sights on you and not give up until you had no, no other option but to choose him back? Before you choose God, he chooses you every day. Before you love him, he first loves you. Before you turn, he's turned his face toward you. That's the kind of chosen we're speaking about here. You are chosen, not because of something great in you, but because of the great grace and goodness of God. And the last identity marker is that you are holy. We're told in the same passage that you were chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. And the Greek word, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but it's hagiazo. Or oh, I don't know. Um, and it means to be set apart for a unique purpose. I don't know about you, but I, uh, even when I got this uh, kind of um, to mill on, and I was like, oh, I'm going to speak about being holy. Oh, I don't know if I'm holy, but I'm holy. And I'm going to try and convince you in a few minutes that you are too. You are holy. You are set apart for a unique purpose. We don't have many items that are set apart for unique purposes anymore. Perhaps the closest one to most of us is our toothbrush. That's set apart, right? I mean, I hope it is. We've had some hairy moments in our own home with kids, toddlers in the past running around with toothbrushes and cleaning toilets that shouldn't be cleaned with them. Um, and and there's, some, there's some like deep violation about that, right? Because that, that is set apart for a unique purpose. Don't be doing that with that. That's mine, and that's not what it's meant to be doing. Another analogy that I, I, I shared a few months ago was of us, uh, us being like these massive golden bells. You know those church bells that you used to have in, in villages in Europe, really? Um, and yet, we often live like upturned bells, like rubbish receptacles, <laughs> We kind of have forgotten who we are, and we go, oh, well, this serves a purpose. Look, look at what I can contain. And yet, that doesn't stop you being a bell. You were actually meant to be set on high and ringing with the sound of joy and freedom and grace and the gospel, the good news, and, 
and whatever kind of unique twangs and sounds you make with the shape of your bell, that's who you were created to be, not an, not an upturned garbage receptacle, but a bell. And, and a final kind of picture of, of set apart for a unique purpose. Last week at the end of the service, I shared of uh, Jesus holding up a coin when uh, the Pharisees tried to trick him and saying, oh, you're going to pay tax. What do you think about paying to Caesar? And Jesus looks at this coin and then he says to them, Who's, whose face is on this? And they say, it's Caesar's. And so he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God. Wow. <laughs> I wonder whose image has been stamped on your soul and on you. It's Christ's, it's God's. <clears throat> you are uniquely set apart for a purpose and you're not your own. <laughs> you belong to God. Wow, you are his. You are holy. Whether or not you're acting like it, you are holy. Now live like it. What I also love about these different analogies and looking into that word set apart for a unique purpose is that often I think about holiness being like um, inactivity. If I just don't do anything, then I'm holy, right? It's like being in a, in a shop that's like got a lot of breakables. If you just don't touch, then you, you're, you're good, right? But all of these analogies and when you look at holiness in the Bible, it's a useful thing. You're actually doing something. You're living your purpose. You're living out into the spaces and places and rubbing shoulders with people, and you're holy because this is how you were meant to be. And um, I know that if you're anything like me, you're sitting here and you're going, wow, that's wonderful, Julie, but there's a big gap between uh, like perfection and holiness and where I am right now. And, um, and I think that's pretty much all of us. But the gap should be closing. <laughs> and the gap can close, friends, more and more, the more you gaze upon the glory and the holiness of God. And let him remind you who you are and transform you in the process, as 2 Corinthians has said. So those are the three identity markers that I wanted to uh, let God settle on us this morning, that we are blessed, that we are chosen, that we are holy. And I wonder if we could close our eyes again, see those three words that you had at the beginning, and if you can just minimize them, put them down a row, and on top of them, write blessed chosen, holy. With your eyes still closed, I wonder how your life might be tomorrow if you live out this identity, your truest identity. Not something that you're striving to be, but something that you already are. Not some clever illusion or mind trick. Blessed, chosen, holy. I wonder how this would change the way you approach relationships, the way you look at the people in your life, the way you spend your time and your money.
the way you're going to walk into school tomorrow and into your office, into your workplace, into your homes. And in closing, um, at the beginning, I spoke about those two different kinds of places to go to find identity that, that aren't the greatest, two different distorted mirrors. We can either bend in on ourselves or we can look out at the distorted mirrors of culture. And I'd hate for us to be in danger of bending in right now at the end and just thinking, I am blessed, I am chosen, I am holy. So with your eyes still closed, I want us to turn our gaze to another, to the only true mirror, your creator. You are blessed because he was cursed. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ bought our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on that tree. You are blessed because he was cursed. You are chosen because he was rejected. Isaiah 53 verse 3, he was despised and rejected. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Yet it was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were punishment from God. But, we, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed. You are chosen because he was rejected. And you are holy because he's taken your sin. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 He became sin for us. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are holy because of him. He blesses you. He chooses you. And he cleans and sets you apart. This is who you are. This is who you are really. The image of him. Reflected more fully as you gaze upon him.